Um, I also want to let you guys know, we, uh, this past week in our city here in Biddeford, uh, we, we normally do like a thing we call uh, Biddeford Winterfest, but because of kind of COVID restrictions, we ended up doing something just kind of called Biddeford Winter Week, which was a, uh, a scavenger hunt you could download on your app, and actually it goes through the end of today. So if you've got a family and you'd like to kind of get out in, into Biddeford and, um, and take part in this, uh, you can still do that. We had like 300 families uh, take part in it over this whole past week. And here's the cool thing. It's like as a church, uh, we just kind of come, be- come behind whatever the uh, whatever our city's doing to make it even better. And so we had the prizes that you get for this scavenger hunt are ridiculous. Like, and it's because of, of your generosity. We, our men's morning prayer team, um, guys, they, they raised money and bought four bikes to, to give out to kids and uh, kind of in the, the winners in the drawing. And then uh, we, we, we purchased about, I think, 14 uh, gift cards from local restaurants to support some of our local restaurants and to bless some families with some food. And then um, what else? Oh, we had our, our Hands at Stitch team. They, they brought in all kinds of mittens and hats to give away. And uh, someone from our church gave a $500 grand prize to the winning uh, family that, that does it. So I just thank God for an amazing group of, of Jesus believers that care about their city and to care about the families that are there. The cool thing is, is when people win, they're going to come to New Life Church to claim their prize. And I just pray that they claim an even greater prize, which would be the presence of God. Amen? So Lord, I just thank you so much for these families that are going to be coming in through our doors. I pray that they would encounter more than just a free bike or a $500 grand prize or some food at a restaurant, but that they would encounter the presence of Jesus. Because we, we believe that your presence is greater than any other presence, that your name is above any other names. And so Lord, we just pray for blessing over our city, the families. I pray for health over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, listen, we're in, uh, we're in a series called Saturate. We've been talking talking about the presence of God. And today I want to talk about a guy that uh, you may have heard before. His name's Moses. And uh, he kind of had a, a special relationship with God. We read in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now that's a, like a relationship that one man had with God under the old covenant. But here's what I want you to understand, that everything that was true of Moses and his relationship with God as a friend of God is true of you as a Christ follower under the new covenant. John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you're my friends because you do what I command. If I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, catch this, I have called you friends. That you're not meant to just simply carry the presence of God. You are called to be a friend of God. But just like everything in friendship is a process, it's, it's a journey. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up our story, um, but I want to give you just a quick little brief bio of Moses in case maybe you're kind of new to church, you've never heard of him, or you get him confused with Noah. Um, both old guys with beards. Moses was, was born as a Hebrew around 1500 BC, which is a long, long time ago. Um, the Hebrew people at that time were slaves in Egypt, treated very poorly, but they are growing in number. And Pharaoh gets a little jiggy, and so he decides to not allow any more male Hebrew children to survive. And so um, Moses' mom gives birth. She tries to save him in any way that she can, so she puts him in a basket and sends him down river. You've probably heard a bit of this story. Twist of all twists. 
He is found, saved, and raised in Pharaoh's palace by Pharaoh's daughter. But he always knew that he was a Hebrew, and he watched his people being mistreated and enslaved and beaten, and it gnawed at him, like gnawed at him. He wanted to see his people free. We get to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, we think that he's probably about 40 years old at this time, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And you thought that the Bible was boring. This is like, he's known as the meekest man alive, right? This killed a dude, hides the body in the sand. I don't know what the plan was, but I don't think the plan was that good. It wasn't executed that well. I don't know if he necessarily premeditated this thing. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but have you ever had like a, a God-given passion that you decided to take into your own hands? Like you just decided like, you know, God's not moving. He doesn't seem to be helping. He doesn't seem to be moving. And, and, and often what will happen to us is when we decide to do this is that many times our own impatience with God's plan will push us to make our own plan, which actually can hinder God's plan. Because he's got something going on and we're like, man, I, but it's not quick enough. It's not fast enough. It's not the way that I like to see this. And so I'm just going to decide I'm going I'm to kill a guy and hide him in the sand. Spoiler alert, Pharaoh finds out, tries to kill him, and then he goes on the run. So he's in hiding, right? He's trying to get away and stay alive, running away from Pharaoh. And so in one instance of rage and passion, he gives up everything. He gives up his position, his power, his influence, his hope and dream of ever being able to be a part of freeing his people. And he goes into hiding. And we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is out herding sheep on a mountainside. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. You've probably heard this story. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, a burning bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not, it didn't burn up. You ever just feel like you just wish that, that like God would work in supernatural ways like this? You know, that like you ever just needed a sign? Sometimes we ask, like, God, will you just give me a sign? Which door am I supposed to go through? Am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? What do you want me to do with my life? And we like, God, I wish that you would use burning bushes, right? Like that would be so awesome. Something that you just know that you know that you know that was undeniably God. You saw a bush, it's burning, but it's not burning. Like that, you just know. You're like, okay, God's here. He's doing something. And I think one of the difficult things for us as Christians is to learn how to recognize when God is moving, to see it, to be aware, to recognize when God's moving in our midst. Because I think many times we walk by what God is working in because we're not watching for it. We're not looking for it. We're, we're, we're kind of busy doing our own thing, and we've got a lot of responsibilities. And I know you're super busy. And so you get to this place, and it makes me wonder, even with Moses, how many times did God try to get his attention before the burning bush? Because for me, as I read this story, a burning bush, a bush on fire that doesn't actually burn, seems a bit like a last-ditch effort, right? 
Like how many times was Moses like, I'm so busy with all these sheep. <laughs> and I got my, my wife and my father-in-law. I got, I'm busy. I got stuff to do and people to see and places to go and all these things. How many times did he walk past what God was doing and not hear what God was saying because he was so busy doing what was right in front of him that he failed to see God working in his midst? And finally, God's like, I'm just going like, to light a bush on fire or something not let it burn but because I'm like an environmentalist. And so I'm going to like let this thing burn but not burn. Maybe it'll get his attention. And finally Moses is like, oh, he looks aside. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, I, 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 I think about this like I wish that burning bushes would be in my own life. And then I was, I was praying about this this week. I'm like, I really do think that God actually does send burning bushes into our life. Like it doesn't look like a bush that burns that doesn't burn, but sometimes it looks like a circumstance that's not normal, and God's trying to get our attention. Have you ever had like, a, I don't know, a pandemic? I don't know, something not normal, wearing masks at the grocery store and it being okay to wear one in a bank? Like, you ever, you ever been like, I don't know, this is kind of a different... This isn't normal, right? I mean, if you think about it, what was a burning bush about? It was something that was not normal that got his attention. How many times has God put something in your life that is not normal in order to get your attention so that he can draw you closer, so he can draw nearer to you, so that he can speak to you? I think a lot of times it's like scenarios, situations that are not normal. And we, we go through life, things that try to get our attention. What if God is trying to move or to prune you in the midst of a pandemic? What if he's using a circumstance to get your attention? I think many times God sends situations that are not normal to get your attention. The other thing I think are burning bushes, at least in my life, are people. And I don't mean this in, in, in a bad way. I think that, I think that sometimes um, God will put somebody in my life that is um, a bit of a role model that I see them walking in a blessing or in a wisdom or in a freedom that I desire? Have you ever had somebody in your life that you're like, man, I want what they have. Like, I, they've got something. I want, to, I want to draw that. I need to be walking in that freedom. I want to walk in that blessing. I want to glean that wisdom. And I think sometimes God will place people in your life to cause you to turn aside and say, they're not normal. This, this is different, and I need what they have. And rather than, com wow, sorry, rather, rather than comparing ourselves to them, which we kind of normally do, like I just wish that I was like them or they were like me, what if God put them in your life as a mentor in that area of your life? Because what do we know? Well, if you want what normal people want, then just do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, then do what few people do. And sometimes when you're walking through life, saying, man, I wish God would change this. I wish he, that he'd bring me freedom in this area. I wish he would change this. I wish he would do that. And God puts somebody into your life as a role model to be able to look to and say, how do you have, how are you walking in what you're walking in? I want to do what few people do because I want what few people have. And the third one that I see that, that this may not be as, as cool for you, but sometimes it comes... A burning bush looks like finding yourself empty. Like just at the end of yourself. Because what do we find? We find at the end of ourself is the beginning of God. You've just been in the place where you're just like, I'm just, I am, I'm worn. I, I, I don't necessarily know where I'm at. I, I, feel, I feel very, very empty. 
Because when we run after worldly things to find satisfaction, we will always find that they're dead ends. Why? Because they're dead ends. <laughs> and it can either cause you to be like, well, that was a dead end. I need to find another one, right? Well, he didn't work. Maybe he has brown hair. I need the blonde, right? And so we go after the, the, another dead end and run after that wholeheartedly, finding out that it is a dead end, thinking that this job is going to be the fix to the, no, that's a, this one will be the thing. Or we can choose to say, God, I'm seeing the burning bush of coming to the end of myself, realizing that it's the beginning of you. Essentially, a burning bush in our life could look like anything unexpected and not normal that God gets our attention with. But how many of you know it's not enough for us to just recognize it and be like, huh, that's not normal. God calls us to turn aside. He calls us to turn aside. We need to turn aside to the presence of God. That's, that's where it comes into our role. I think that a lot of times we're like, huh, I see God moving or I, I sense he's moving here. But how many of you know you'll never walk into what it is that God has for you until you decide to turn aside and walk into it? And that's a decision for each and every single one of us to turn aside and move into what it is that God has. Verse three, Moses thought, I always laugh at this because I don't care what translation you have. This is so weird the way he says it. He says, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. What in the world? Who talks? Who thinks like that? I always find it so odd. He's like, I will go over and see this strange sight. I would be like, dude, that bush is burning, but it ain't burning. Like, you know, I will go over and see this strange sight. Right? This bush does not burn up. And he just decides, okay, I'm going I'm to go and check this strange sight out. Right? God wants to always reveal himself to us. But how many of you know that you need to make space and time for the encounter? It isn't enough you just be like, huh, that's weird. Huh, let's be God doing something over here. No, he says, huh, I must go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up. And then he decides to walk into it. Why? Because it's not enough for us to just recognize it. God wants us to walk into it, to turn aside he turns aside from his responsibilities because he's busy. I know not as busy as you, but he's super uber busy. He's got all these, all these, all these, and they're all fighting. And, and he turns aside from his responsibilities of his flock to turn aside towards God, to check out what it is that God's doing. Can I tell you, church, can I remind you that sometimes the greatest thing that you can do is to turn away from the thing that is encompassing and stressing you and causing anxiety and anger and all of this stuff and to turn aside to what it is that God's doing. Sometimes it's the best thing for your marriage. Sometimes it's the best thing for you personally. Sometimes it's the best thing for your friend. You think, oh, I, I know I just need to keep, if I can manipulate this thing and if I could just change him and change her and if they could just do all this, then I could just, I could make God do his thing and God will help. And God says, um, excuse me, I actually have a plan. I'd love for you to turn aside and get with me. But I kind of, I'm good at, I can do this. God says, just stop. Stop. God has a greater purpose, but we'll only walk into it by turning aside. Watch, watch what happens when he does. It says, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush. And he says, Moses, Moses. It's only when he turns aside 
only when he pursues that God draws near. It's only when he turns and walks towards the Father that all of a sudden he can now hear, or maybe he's just listening to the voice of God. And Moses says his response is, here I am. I was thinking about this this morning. There's a few times throughout Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, where God calls people's names twice. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, right? Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Saul, Saul, Martha, 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 Martha. That was a few times. It's twice, but I'm sure it was like Martha, 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 Martha. You got, she, got a, she got a little more. What is it that God is doing when he calls people's names twice? <laughs> Katie liked that one. What is, what is it that he's doing? Here's what I want to say. He's not saying, Moses. Moses. It's this sense of drawing someone into relationship. It's this intimacy. Moses. Moses. Abraham. Abraham. Jacob. Jacob, Saul, Saul, Martha, 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 Martha. Come on. Can I remind you, church, that God isn't looking for superheroes. He's actually looking for ordinary people that are available. Because just like Moses, and I look at Samuel, they literally had the same response, the same three words when they got their name twice. Samuel, Samuel, Moses, Moses. And the answer is, here I am. Here I am. Because great moves of God are usually preceded by simple acts of obedience. And sometimes we think, well, God needs me to be a superhero, right? I got to be all that. I got to be able to do all this and do all that. And God said, if you could just say, here I am. If you just turn aside and, and listen, if you could just say, here I am, that would be great. And then in verse 5, he says, don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. This has always been a weird thing for me. I don't, I don't know why, but I've always thought, like, why in the world? How does dirt, it's just dirt one moment, and then all of a sudden that same plot of dirt is holy ground the next moment. Like, what makes that? Like, if you went back up to this mountain to this exact same spot, would you walk on that dirt and be like, dude, this is, this is holy ground. This is holy dirt. Like, what is the thing that shifts? What changes? Why is it all of a sudden different? And this is what I was realizing, is that holy ground is not about a physical place, it's about a spiritual state. Holy ground happens when you perceive the presence of God in the ordinary. It is just dirt. But it is the awareness of the presence of God that makes that place holy ground. So that means that it doesn't, it's not anything that's special about this place and the burning bush and all of that. It means that that wherever we walk as we are aware of God's presence in our midst, that it becomes holy ground, which is why we're called to make space for the presence of God. Because that means that we bring holy ground into each and every single situation, conversation. As we walk into it, we bring the presence of God with us, that he's with you, and it makes the routine Holy. Because it's the same job, whether you like it or not. It's the same laundry room. It's the same marriage. It's the same difficult situation. All of those things are the same. But when you realize that God is with you in that place, it becomes a holy place. Holy ground. And so sometimes when we talk about creating space for God, it's actually choosing to take back ground that the devil has stolen from your life 
and claim it as holy ground? What if it looked a whole lot like, oh, devil, I'm sorry, you thought that you had, you thought that this ground was, you thought my marriage was your ground? Oh, I'm sorry, this isn't just regular dirt, this is holy ground. Oh, devil, I'm sorry, you thought that you were going to speak into my finances. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have said something. This is holy ground. This isn't just dirt. What if everything that we walk into as we carry the presence of God is that we're aware of his presence in every situation, every conversation that we walk into realizing that this is holy ground? Because I want to remind you, God loves taking back ground. He loves taking back ground. And he calls us to do the same. Then he says in verse 7, This is what I love about the heart of God. He says, the Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Just catch up that that one verse, verse seven, stop right there. Isn't that the exact same thing that Moses was so upset about? Isn't that the exact same thing that caused him to get enraged and to kill a dude and hide it in the desert? It's the exact same thing. I want you to understand, know that God sees, that he hears, and that he cares about the things that you care about. Do you know that he knows, he is aware of the things that keep you up at night? And he says, I'm concerned too. But I've got a plan that's better than yours. I, I, I actually have a plan that's higher than yours. Because... Moses had the right mission, but the wrong method. Like he had the right priorities and passion, but he tried to take it into his own hands. His method was pretty jacked up. He's like, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to hide his body in the sand. That's going to fix something, right? I'm going to feel better about this. I'm going to kickstart this revolution, baby. I'm just going to, I'm going to do something because God's not doing anything. Because I'm watching this guy get beat and nobody's doing anything. I don't even know if God even cares about this. So I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to literally take it into my own hands. God has the exact same care and concern. He sees it and he hears it, only he has a different method. And we see it in verse 8. Look at what he does. He says this. God says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which sounds weird, but it's apparently really good. Land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites, all the ites parasites, all of them, this is the land that I have prepared for you. Can I remind you, church, that God already has a plan, and he invites you to come alongside his plan, not the other way around. I think that many times we're like, man, God, I, 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 I know you've given me this heart and this passion, but I'm going to take it into my own hands, and i got a plan because it doesn't seem like you're acting really quickly or just not enough, and so I'm going to do this thing, and I'd love for you to join me. God says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm actually calling you to join me into my plan because God has a better plan than our plan. God has a better plan than taking a situation into our own hands. He has a better plan than killing a man and hiding him in the sand. God himself is like, I have come down to save my people, to rescue them. But not only that, I have created a place for them that is so much better than they could ever even dream of. 
And then he says in verse 10, this is where it gets weird. He says to Moses, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to, free my, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. To which Moses would respond like many of us, excuse me? Go? Where? I'm, I'm a little confused because you had just said, I mean, we can read it ourselves, verse 8. You said that you were coming down, God. Repeating what you said, you said you were coming down and that you were going to rescue your people. But what does that have to do with me? But isn't that how God works? God does the work, but he uses you to work through. And we find ourselves always in this place of, God, you said you were going to do it, so why in the world do I have to do it for you? Why in the world do I have to walk in this? Why do I have to walk in? Why do I have to pray for them? Why do I have to care? Why do I have to give? Why do I have to forgive? Why do I have to walk into this? He says, oh, I'm going to do it. I just need you to, to work through. What? And God gives Moses this like intensely directive and, 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 and nebulously impossible assignment. He's like, you, go, now, Pharaoh. What? That, that's, that, that doesn't seem like much of a plan. But here's the thing that I've found throughout my life is that God always seems more concerned with my obedience to his commands than my understanding of my assignment. Because as a type A personality, man, I'm like, just give me the plan. I, I want to know, you know, time, place, event, what's going on, what's the strategy, who's coming with me, this is what we're doing, let's move forward. Okay, this is great. we got a plan now, and God just says, you, now, go, Pharaoh. What? Excuse me, but this is a horrible plan. I don't even understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. And he says, you, I'm sending you. Watch what Moses' response is in verse 11. He says, but Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? It is the one question that every single one of us struggles with. We are all seeking. If you just look at how many personality profile assessments there are out there right now, you will understand that this is the, this is the very best, biggest question that is crushing every single one of us. We got the Myers Briggs, you've got the disc profile, you got the Enneagram, that's a big deal. You got the Strengths Finder, you got all these things that try to tell you who am I? Who am I? And just like Moses, whenever God's like, hey, I need you to do this, I want you go now, Pharaoh, we're like, ah, kind of think, I don't know if I can do that. I don't. I don't necessarily know because I can always find excuses as to why God has made a really poor choice. And, and Moses does the same thing. He's like, um, well, what if they don't believe me? What, what, if, what if they still don't believe me? And, and by the way, like I kind of, I failed speech class and I got, a, I got a speech impediment. So I, I don't really think I'd be a great mouthpiece for you. And come to think of it, could you just send somebody else? Because I'm kind of busy. I got a bunch of sheep, right? They don't sheep themselves, Right? If you could just kind of take care of that, I mean, who am, who am I? It's a valid question. Look at God's response. Verse 12, God said, I will be with you. But you didn't answer my question. 
My question was, who am I? Clearly, it's written down. You said, I'll be with you. I want you to notice what God didn't say. He didn't go on and on and say, Moses, Moses, let me tell you who you are, buddy. You're a winner. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, Moses. You know what, Moses, when I made you, I broke the mold. You were a type three on the Enneagram, and you were a high D in the disc profile. You got this, bro. Come on, you are a born leader, Moses. You got this thing. I believe in you. I see greatness on the inside of you. He doesn't say any, I've read it. You can read it yourself. He doesn't say any of these things. Literally, God simply says, yeah, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And if we capture this church, it's this non-answer that is truly the answer. That we find out who we are in the presence of God. We found out who we are in his presence. Think about this. All right. Um, Many of you guys have heard the name Kate Middleton. She's kind of a big deal in England, okay? Um, Kate Middleton, uh, think of her as a 15-year-old girl, right? As a 15-year-old girl, Kate Middleton wants to go see the queen and get a tour of Buckingham Palace. If she decided to do that, she would do what many of us would have to do if we wanted to go see the queen and get a tour of Buckingham Palace. We would walk, we'd fly over to uh, England, and we would walk into Buckingham Palace. We would knock on the door, probably a big knocker, I'm guessing. And then they would open up, the big guys with the fluffy, and they would say, hello. And she'd say, I would like to see the queen and have full access to Buckingham Palace. And they would say, who are you? And she would say, Kate Middleton. And they would say, leave now. Categorically denied. Absolutely no. I, please, other fluffy guy with the weird tall hat, please escort her off of the grounds, right? But that's not what happens now. Do you know when Kate Middleton wants to see the queen... You know what she does? Well, she probably gets like escorted like in a Rolls Royce or something. And uh, she comes up to the, 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 you know, the front loop of Buckingham Palace and decides, I'm, I'm going to see the queen. And I'm going to you know, just look around at uh, Buckingham Palace. So she walks up to the front door. It probably opens for her. And they say, oh, well, hello, Duchess of Cambridge. Of course, come in. And they usher her into the throne room where... I think the queen just sits on the throne all day like, doosh, doosh, doosh. I don't know what she does. I imagine that. And she comes into the throne room and she has a private audience with the queen and she has much tea and crumpets that she desires, okay? I don't even know what a crumpet is, but she's like, I'll have 12, right? All the flavors of all the crumpets, give them to me. And so she literally gets to have all, she has full access to the entire palace. Do you know Why? Because I'm with him. Prince William, you met him? Who are you, ma'am? Oh, I'm, I'm Kate Middleton, but I'm with him. And it's the same for Moses. And it's the same for every single one of us. God, who am I? I'll be with you. And when we realize 
that it is the power of God with us, that it is the power of God in us, then we stop trying to prove to ourselves and to others our worth. And we realize that our identity and our worth is I'm with him. I'm with him. Who are you? Oh, my name's Justin, but him. Can I remind you, church, you belong to God, and so there is no way for you to define yourself apart from him. All right, let me just tell you something, and I know some of you will get offended at this, so um, I'll say it quickly. Um, you are average. I know if you're younger than me, you've had everyone in your life tell you that you are amazing at everything you put your mind to. You're special. And you are gifted. The reality is, is that you're average. You, I don't mean that as, as, a, as, a, as a downer. I just mean that actually to bring you freedom. Like you're an average wife, you're an average husband. And I, I, if you bear with me here for a second, I know you're like, this is a horrible church. I can't even believe this. You, people on YouTube have already flipped me off. This is, I'm, I mean, I didn't mean flip, I mean turn. Wow, that was, that's never going away. I actually didn't mean that. Ha, ha, ha. Because I'm average. He's literally, as we're, that, that derailed. Um, can I just remind you that God does not expect you to be a superhero? He actually is reminding every single one of us to allow him to put his super on our natural. To realize, like, huh. And it's when we allow him to do that that we finally rest and find out who we are. See, Moses was looking through this like, whole thing of his uh, failures and his inadequacies and his stuttering problem, but God did not choose him because of any of those things, and he did not choose him because of any of those things. He chose him because he said, here I am, I'm willing, I'm willing. And so instead of asking the question, who am I? The real answer is here I am. It's your willingness to obey what you're unqualified to do that qualifies you. If you're willing, if you, listen, if you have God with you, then you have everything that you need. Amen? You don't, you don't have to make God come closer. He's, you just need to be aware that he already has and that you draw near to him so that he can draw near to you. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> Moses, um, Moses finally gets it in Exodus chapter 33. He's had all of these learning experiences. And I want to read to you Exodus 33, verse 14. He says this, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's a prophetic word. Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? 
And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then verse 18, this is where he gets it. He says, Moses says, now show me your glory. He finally gets it. He finally comes to the point where it's not about his inadequacies or his his stuttering problem. He realizes God actually doesn't need more of me. I need more of him. Show me your glory. He finally comes to this place that it knows it isn't about him. It's all about God's glory. My prayer is that we would be a people that would realize that the only thing we can really say is, here I am. I'm willing now. Show me your glory. I really don't have much to offer, but I know that in my natural average self, when you put your super on it, your glory is shown. So here I am. I don't know quite why you chose me, but here I am. Jesus, show me your glory. I want to just pray with you as we end today. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Maybe there's an area of your life that you just know God is trying to get your attention. And you, 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 you're putting your hands and you're trying to take this into your own power and you're trying to control or manipulate this or change this or change them or change this situation. And God's saying, I need you to, I need you to turn aside because I've got a plan that's greater than your plan. And I want you to walk in what it is that I have for you and to respond, realizing that every great move of God is preceded by a simple step of obedience. So God, we thank you. I pray for release of that over every single one of us, wherever that area is that that you're speaking to us about, whether it's relational or whether it's in our, our marriage with our kids, in our finances, whatever that looks like, Lord, in our health, Lord, I pray that we would lift that up to you and just simply say, God, I don't have necessarily all that I think I need, but I have you, which is all that I need. Lord, we realize that you, you cause losers to win. Lord, we, we thank you that you love underdogs and misfits and the least of these, Lord, that you came for the sick, not the healthy. And so, Lord, we, we, we come to you realizing that all we have is you. And so whatever situation that we're facing right now, what if our answer was, I don't necessarily know what the plan is, but I'm with him. And I know he's got a greater plan than I could ever even dream of. And so, Lord, as we walk into that, give us faith that you'd stir us up to believe you for greater things than what we're facing. Believe you for greater freedom than we're facing. Believe you that that we don't necessarily have to, to, to get our hands wrapped around it or even understand our assignment in order to walk in obedience to your command. And so, Lord, we're not waiting for understanding. We'll walk in obedience to whatever it is that you call it. Here I am. I'm with you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for freedom in our midst. I pray there be freedom, chains falling, breaking all around this place as we choose to follow and to walk in, to turn aside and to draw near to you as you draw near to us. Lord, we thank you that you are more than enough, that it is your name is above every other name, that, that all knees will bow, every knee. 
every tongue will confess. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you're with us. And so, Lord, we thank you that it is your presence with us and in us that is really the only answer we need. We rest in that. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence of God. Amen. Have a great week.